right, it's time for Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry, Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News. Morning, Keith. Good morning. Here we go with the last week before school. Yeah, for sure. And it's we got a long weekend coming up here with Labor Day coming up next week. And it'll be another busy travel weekend, I'm really? sure, for BC Which Ferries. Which brings us to BC Ferries. Indeed. So here we have more trouble for BC Ferries with the Coastal Celebration. or No, it's the Coastal... The Coastal Renaissance is the one that is out of service now for several weeks, BC Ferry saying through to October before it's back in back in service. Yeah, so it again raises questions about this their fleet and the viability of it. It's been replaced by a smaller vessel. I think it's either the Queen of Alberni, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Which, you know, in the old days that was part of the fleet, these forty year old, uh, sixty year old vessels. Uh but they've been replaced first the um the spirits, of course, in the 1990s, and the most recent were the three coastal ships, which seem to be having some unique circumstances when it comes to maintenance. Yeah, now I spoke to Paula White about this. She's the vice president of the BC Ferry Workers Union, and we talked about these particular German-built ferries experiencing these recent mechanical troubles. And we talked about that, and here's what she had to say. So listen to what she says here about, about maintenance of ferry, the ferry fleet. Have a listen. It's harder to source parts for these ships. I'm not sure that the maintenance, um, because of the budget being allowed, is still up to the same quality as we used to have. Okay, so she questioned whether there's enough resources being put into maintaining these ships so they don't go out of service to begin with. She talked about difficulty in getting parts. She also told me about some of the staff shortages they've so, had in, in maintenance. Your so, thoughts? So, yeah, so the annual report for BC Ferries came out there, um, uh, the, the annual general meeting, the public meeting last week. And the big takeaway from there was the staff shortages, which are leading to all sorts of cancellations of sentence. But it starts to go deeper than that throughout the corporation. It's not just on necessarily on board people. Now you've got the union saying there's not enough resources on the maintenance side because of staff shortages. So staff shortages are just part of the problem in so many places. And it's not just ferries, but the implications are when you're a service industry and you have staff shortages, whether it's healthcare or whether it's ferries, it's going to have an impact on the public you serve. And you're going to see that in other places. You may not see that. You may have a longer waiting list to get some sort of service. But the general, you don't see this mass numbers like BC ferries. We're talking, you know, hundreds of thousands of people are going to travel that ferry service. All it takes is one disruption to have that sort of domino effect through the system, and it affects a heck of a lot of people. Also, largely because of staff shortages. Another requirement, too, for when these vessels do sail is there has to be a minimum staff complement on on board. And trained staff. Yeah, and it it has to be a a ratio to passengers, too. So the, the president of the union at BC Ferries told me that sometimes these ferries will sail uh, when there's still room on, for vehicles to go on board, and even though there's people waiting to get on board, but they still sail with room on board. And the reason is there's not enough staff and because there's are, a minimum ratio to passengers. And these are rules set down by Transport Canada. Yeah. And they've increased over the years the number of required certified staff to be on board. I'm not just talking, you know, parking lot attendants suddenly becoming uh, cafeteria workers. Everyone on there basically has safety certified courses they have to take and be certified to assist in life-saving and such. And unless there's the minimum number on board, you can't take the maximum number of, um, of passengers. No. Let's talk a little bit more about these coastal ferries that were built, uh, coastal-class ferries that were built in Germany. And I remember it was very controversial at the time, whether we should try to build these ferries ourselves or do we outsource them offshore. 
and now you've seen uh, two of them experiencing mechanical troubles. Have a listen to Stephen Jones here. This guy is the executive director of engineering at BC Ferries, and he was after these lemons, or these boats' lemons. Have a listen. This is a major issue, um, and it's, it's extremely unfortunate. And no, I don't believe these vessels are lemons. He doesn't think they're lemons. The fact he has to actually say that shows you the depth of the problem that people are suspecting that they're. So these were built in Germany. Since then, BC Ferries is outsourced to Poland and Romania, I believe, for other vessels. The problem in Vancouver, back when these were built, there, there was no real infrastructure that existed. The argument was at the time there wasn't enough space in Vancouver shipyards to build these. And then, of course, you saw the federal government contracts step in yes. and just completely take up all the work. Yeah. So even if you wanted to build a ship in BC right now, I don't think you could because of these federal contracts are just tied up all the yards. So the BC ferries will continue to go offshore, but it is interesting, the, you know, the legendary German engineering. Yes. Doesn't seem to have necessarily followed the, the legend here when it comes to these three particular vessels. Now, you and I were joking, maybe they should rename one of these ferries the Lemon in, in German. We were trying to figure out how you say Lemon in German. German. Let's have a listen here. Here's how you say Lemon in German. Let's dive into today's word, Zitrone, which means lemon in German. Let's say it all together, Zitrone. <laughs> Zitrone. So I was thinking you could rename one of these at Die Zitrone or Das Zitrone. What do you think? Yeah, the Coastal Die Zitrone. Yeah, the Coastal Die Zitrone. Um, hopefully they're not lemons, but um, October, that's a long time to be out of service. It's um, a long time. And you're not only going to miss this long weekend coming up Labor Day, but potentially Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving. weekend in October, too. Thanksgiving is a huge weekend yeah. traveling. I think it's the second biggest. I think yeah. August 1st and Thanksgiving is the second biggest. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a long time for that vessel to be out of service. And BC Ferry is plagued by a lot of problems, likes of which we haven't seen for decades. Okay, let's talk about uh, Vancouver Mayor Ken Sim. And he did an event. Was it this morning he did an event? Ten forty-five. It's been re- just delayed a bit. Him and Ravi Kalon. So it's a housing announcement. It's so uh, Ravi Kalon is the BC housing, housing minister. minister. But it's another example. What caught my interest? It, it hasn't happened yet. But it's another uh, example. Uh, probably not a big deal. But you, again, you got Ken Sim sharing the stage with Ravi Kalon. Several times they've done that together on housing announcements. He's also been there with David Eby. And I couldn't help but notice the contrast in a couple of things. You've got Ken Sim now, a right-wing, right-leaning mayor, not particularly right-wing, but right-leaning, Yeah. now basically has a very good relationship on display, both publicly and privately, with a left-leaning government, senior government. In stark contrast to his predecessor, Kennedy Stewart, a former NDP MP, who had did not have a good relationship with the NDP in in government, even though he was an NDP oh, MP. Yeah, not a good relationship at all. Um, there was no. I, I can't tell you how many cabinet ministers go to the way to heap praise on Ken Sim, and contrast that with their disconnect with Kennedy Stewart, where they didn't hmm. think they were on the same page. Kennedy Stewart, if you recall, beginning of the pandemic, Vancouver City Hall stood out. Because they kept calling news conferences demanding money from from Victoria when everyone else was sort of hunkered down trying to get through this crisis. So that didn't impress the NDP cabinet back then. But then the other contrast, so Ken Sims, the mayor of the largest city in BC, and he's in regular appearances now with getting money, partnerships, all sorts of things, working with the federal government, with the provincial government. Then you got the second largest city situation where Brenda Locke has been fighting this two-year pitch battle with the government over one issue which was policing, which she seems to have lost. We haven't heard anything from them. But I haven't seen the – I remember the last time Brenda Locke was on stage, the joint announcement for something that was going to work for Surrey, courtesy of Victoria. So the contrasts are quite quite interesting. Well, I mean, 
if there may be some bad blood between, you know, Brenda Locke and, and the provincial government over this policing issue in Surrey, but does that mean that the, the province is somehow going to punish the city oh, of no, Surrey? No, or? but you have to also go out of your way to work with each other. Yeah. And I don't think they're going to get punished because no government wants to punish Surrey. Surrey's an important electoral no. battleground. But it also takes two to pick up the phone call, the phone here. Yeah. And we'll just see in the fall how much joint announcements there's going to be in Surrey as opposed to Vancouver. Okay. Latest on Donald Trump's legal troubles. There's developments here. What is the yeah, latest? Yeah, see, one of the federal cases, this is not the Georgia case, the state case. This is the federal uh, with Jack Smith, the prosecutor, <clears throat> the judge there ruled against Trump. Trump wanted to push his court date to 2026, almost three years from now. And she said, nope, we're going ahead in March. So a set He wants to push Trump, everything until after the after election. After the election, as much yeah. as he can. <clears throat> so a couple of setbacks for him. He's lost now his bid to delay the court, one of the court cases in, in um, the uh, federal court. Also, a number of his co-conspirators have filed documents in Georgia saying, well, whatever they did was because Trump asked them to do it. Yes. So they're already a bit just of a following split, orders. Just following a bit of a split down in Georgia and a setback for Trump in the federal court. The other interesting thing too is could Trump's Georgia case be transferred into federal court? And we see some some of the people accused here making that application yeah, and made, to federal court. A couple of them already been rejected by by judges saying no, that's not going to happen. And no. every legal analyst I've been reading says no, the remote chance that that's ever going to go to a federal court. Keep in mind. States, the way they're stru- you know, states are structured, the states zealously guard their rights yeah. versus the federal government. And already, I think it's um, the chief of, former chief of staff has lost his bid to go to federal court. And I suspect others will as well. Let's listen quickly to Donald Trump. Here he is speaking last week after he was booked on those charges in Georgia and the famous mugshot was taken. And here he is. Here's what he had to say afterward. If you challenge an election, you should be able to challenge an election. I thought the election was a rigged election, a stolen election. Here is a travesty of justice. We did nothing wrong. I did nothing wrong. And everybody knows it. I've never had such support. Okay, so he continues it, not backing down a bit and, and calling it a rigged election and a stolen election. And he raised a ton of money here in the last few days, too, On off the strength shot. of the mugshot. The merchandise yep. mugshot. Sure. Interesting, a pullout today by one of the polling services down south. He's down six points in a Republican poll, but guess what? Mm. He's still at 50%. Yeah. You know, it's, it's still, no one has double digits uh, amongst the other candidates. So maybe going Republican. down, but no one's catching up to him. Or not even really going, I mean, going from 56 to 50, is that really a, a mm. drop? I mean, yeah. he still has a stranglehold on the Republican membership. Yeah. I mean, that's his party. It's not really the Republican party of old. It's the Donald Trump party. And so far, Chris Christie, Nikki Haley, Mike Pence, Ron DeSantis, Ramaswamy, uh, really not putting any dents in them. Aldry's beat. I was talking off air there. We talked. We had an earlier segment on the show talking about enforcement in school zones, right? Especially with school getting back uh, back in session here very soon. Do you find? I know you live near a school. Do you do you see enforcement in the school zone around speeding around there? Is so it- I live across the street from an elementary school on the residential side, yeah. and no enforcement there at all. But we they've put in three speed bumps. Mm. which does have an impact because you have to slow down yeah. unless you want to do some damage to your vehicle. So that's had a positive impact yeah. rather than just putting a police car there. On the other side is a busy Fairfield Road. Yes, yes. And very little enforcement I've seen there. I slow down because I know it's a sort of a hidden corner. You go up this little hill and there's yeah. a hidden corner. If you're not careful, it could be. if I was the police, I'd park a car right there because you can yeah. nail everyone coming over that hill. Well, this is the time of year when enforcement does sort of ramp up well, in school zones. So. I hope so. Having lived across, the worst thing I've ever seen... Living on a school zone street drives me crazy, drives my wife crazy. You put 
parked cars on both sides of the street, which is a very narrow thoroughfare. And what do parents do? They open up the roadside passenger door and put little Becky or Jimmy on the road, the road out of their car seat and say, wait there and go around to get the other kid out of the other side. So the kid is standing there in the road yeah. with, the, with the door slightly open and cars are literally squeezing by them yeah. oh. with inches to spare. Yeah. And I've laid, given notes to the principal saying, you got to tell parents how to un- safely unload your kids from a vehicle. Don't load them onto the street. Yeah. Load them onto the sidewalk. I think that's a bigger concern to me than someone going over the speed limit. Uh, you know what? I've heard very similar from people. Phone me on that one if you live near a school, okay? 604 9898 star 9898 on your cell. Let's go to your calls. Doug in Surrey. Hi, Doug. Go ahead. Hi, guys. How you doing? As for this German-built ferry, I didn't know that the feds had all the uh, shipbuilding tied up over here, so I guess they were stuck with putting it together over in Germany. But uh, when Gordon Campbell and his crowd got loose, they couldn't wait to get that flower off the side of the smokestack. Uh, the uh, the uh, paint job on the um, on the ferry must be coming due. Want to paint it yellow so everybody knows it's a lemon. But as for uh, Brenda Locke, the only time we'll hear the last of her is when she's voted out. In the meantime, she'll sit in the corner and suck her thumb. Okay. Uh, thank what, you for what's that. What's going on in that phone call? So well, old, yeah, you covered a lot of ground. So you heard of the old flowers. So that's the old dogwood symbol yes. on BC Ferries, which I sort of have a romantic attachment to. I remember when they replaced it, I thought, oh, what's, why are you doing this? You know, um, um, But, I mean, Ferries underwent a significant overhaul. And David Hahn was the CEO of, of BC Ferries. I think he did a great job, more or less. I mean, there's, again, the shipyards was an ongoing debate. Was there enough resources available to build what at the time was a significant? These are three big ships. And the argument was there wasn't enough. The, one of the shipyards that had been active had closed. Uh, now, since then, I mean, the, the federal contracts, I don't think, were at play when the coastal ships were built. That came afterwards, which is why some of the smaller vessels, the century-class vessels, ha- have had to build uh, off offshore. Okay. In fairness to BC Ferries, the, the president of BC Ferries, Nicholas Jimenez, has been saying last week, too, that, by the way, that the criticism of these German ferries is not necessarily fair and that these ferries have actually been very, very reliable since they were brought into the, into the fleet. So I guess he's arguing that it's, maybe it's kind of a, a coincidence, unfortunate one, that you've had two of them yeah. experiencing mechanical well, troubles they, here in, in rapid succession. They had some problems at the beginning with some significant vibration issues when they yeah. first arrived. So that was the first year or so. But uh, Jimenez is right. I mean, just, they came together at the worst possible time. And But on a statistical basis, BC Ferries does great. Very yeah. small percentage of sailings canceled. But try telling that to someone yeah. who's suddenly stuck in a forest sailing weight. Right. Robin in Vancouver. Robin, you have 30 seconds. Yeah, it's a matter. I think it's a matter of economics with this ferry building in Germany. Yeah, well, that's, that's what they argued. That's is economics. Sure, it is. Well, that's what they argued labor. at the time. They, they, thank you for the call. They, they argued that you're saving a lot of taxpayers' money by building them offshore, and this is a very, uh, very expensive jurisdiction for shipbuilding. And they also, they also argued at the time there was not enough capacity to build the ships. That was disputed by some people in the shipbuilding sector who were upset about the contracts yep. going to Germany. But it was, it was, it was presented as a good deal for taxpayers. Yeah, I mean, and math worked at the time. It's just unfortunate that these maintenance problems have come up at the worst possible time. He, thanks a lot. Talk tomorrow.